The Live Talk Show is about testimonies where you can listen to be inspired, encouraged, uplifted, and entertained. It's the life. Good morning, I am your host, Ashley Cotton, for the Life Talk Show, and this show is about testimonies, where I invite different walks of life to come on to speak about their testimony, their personal relationship through Jesus Christ while they take us on a journey. So my guest for today is Alex Watkins. He's a businessman, a musician, human rights advocator, and special educator. The son of two teachers, Alex has always believed in education as a key to opening doors of opportunity and success. After receiving his bachelor's degree from Morehouse College, Alex worked in corporate world in the fields of banking and finance, advertising and marketing as well as an entrepreneur, opening small hamburger franchises, as well as other small businesses. As someone who believes in giving back, Alex has started his own after-school program in the Lansing area, worked as a director of career services for a technical college, worked with 100 black men of, create, of Greater Lansing, the King Chavez Parks College mentoring program, and has worked with junior achievement in bringing business skills to elementary and middle school students. Alex has recently moved to Dallas area to focus on his purpose and dream of starting the Institute to help African-American youth achieve success in business and in life. So let's welcome Alex Watkins to the show. Good morning, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on to the Life Talk Show. So right now, I want you just to begin to tell us about your beginning as far as your testimony is concerned. No problem. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Ashley, for inviting me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. I um, want to thank you and Aaron for all the work that you guys put in to uh, making me look good and having this wonderful show. So first of all, just thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. Um, a little bit about me and my testimony. Um, new to the Dallas area, and I came down to the Dallas area because uh, I wanted to fulfill my purpose. So I originally um, am a child of two educators, and I grew up in the church. So. Uh, I was blessed to not only grow up in a Baptist church, but my father is a musician, and he's a musician at multiple churches. So I grew up uh, attending churches with him, um, and just being honest with you, growing up in our society, we have the way that religion seems to be separated. We have black churches and white churches. Well, the white churches, quote unquote, will always be earlier in the day, and the black churches wouldn't start to 11 o'clock, 1045, things of that nature. So I would go with him for the early morning service, see how Lutherans worship, see how Presbyterians or Catholics worship, and listen to my father play and have them enjoy service in their cultural way of understanding religion and, and uh, service. Then I would go to our church which would be Baptist or AME, and uh, then we would go and he would show out and, and I had an opportunity just to see the way that he would uh, communicate differently between the two congregations musically. So I grew up in, uh, definitely grew up in the church, and then not only have an opportunity to see my father at different church settings as a musician, I also was a church musician. I grew up at a Friendship Baptist Church back in Lansing, Michigan. And when I say I grew up in Baptist Church, I mean I grew up. I'm talking Monday uh, youth or children's choir. Sunday, um, go either to gospel chorus practice for my mom, or later on in life, I became the musician, the drummer for the gospel chorus, so practice on Sundays. Um, Wednesday would be midweek prayer or Bible study. Thursday would be usher board, because I was on youth usher board. Friday, I would have off. Saturday would be uh, what we call academic enrichment, in which 
Um, some of the elders and educators in the church would do tutoring on Saturdays to help us with our schoolwork. And then Sunday, Sunday school, church service, and then a lot of people don't remember this, and I was thinking about this last night. Then we have our four o'clock service where we would either go to another church or we have a church come visit us. Um, so when I say I grew up in the church, I mean I grew up in the church. My first set of friends, because I attended private school, were all, um, were all my church friends. My parents trusted those parents uh, to let us go over their house to play, um, even depending on the parent, even stay over for uh, sleepovers. Um, but as far as children in my neighborhood, kids in my neighborhood that I grew up with, uh, I really didn't have that much association with them because all my friends were my church friends. So when I say I grew up in the church, I really mean I grew up in the church. So, so the very fact that you have a strong foundation because you grew up in the church, you were able to see different um, denominations and different dynamics between you know, the white church and the black church. But one thing that I want to just highlight is when did you uh, start your personal relationship, your journey with Jesus? And did it start off as being religious at first and then you had to navigate to know him personally? Mm -hmm. So my relationship with Jesus was started off at a young age. I didn't know any better. So everything that I grew up, my relationship with Jesus was something that I would say I was indoctrinated into. I, I, I didn't know any better. It's, it's the culture I grew up in. I always tell people, um, be cognizant of your culture and how it relates to your religion. Because the only reason why I grew up knowing so much about Jesus, having Jesus in my life, is because I grew up in American culture. I grew up in Western society. Now, of course, if I grew up in India, I'd be Buddhist because that would have been how I learned about religion. Or if I grew up in the Middle East or Eastern Africa, um, Muslim or Islamic, uh, Asian, Tao or China Tao. You know, so it, I, I grew up indoctrinated with Jesus. But what I didn't learn about was God. And what I always would hear Jesus in his sayings when he, um, one of the things I, in my critique about religion or pastors is you only preach from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John oftentimes. So whenever they say, open up your books, I can always, I always play a little game and guess, oh, let me guess, it's probably going to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, because they always preach from the gospel. So I always learned a lot about Jesus, but what I was, was not learning a lot about was God and how God played an influence on my life, because Jesus always talked about God. He always talked about the Father. He always talked about the one who sent him. He always talked about the source of his power. He always talked about praying and meditating. So praying, talking to God, meditating, quieting the mind and the spirit to hear God's answer. Um, I always wondered, well, why was God calling out, or why was Jesus calling out to God on the cross and things of that nature? So I never really understood God, but I understood Jesus and praying to Jesus and in Jesus's name and calling on Jesus and seeing pictures of him in the church all the time. And um, granted, they're not descriptive pictures of Jesus because the description of them in the Bible is different from the pictures that I saw, but still seeing pictures of Jesus. So Jesus has always been a part of my walk, but um, I always refer back to the what would Jesus do armbands that people that were popular a few years back. Um, I, I praised Jesus, I worshiped Jesus, but I never was doing what Jesus said do. I wasn't following his words. And I noticed that a lot, not only in myself, but a lot of uh, critiques that people have of church. You know, I, I come to church and I just don't feel the spirit or I feel more judged if I don't dress a certain way or if I'm not, a, if I'm not the majority race of that particular church. And so I, I was like, well, Jesus didn't talk about a lot of these things. So let me go back and research um, what Jesus said and what he was trying to get across in 
you know, not only focus on the man, but also focus on the message. And that's very interesting because you brought up some really key points that I want to highlight. So one of them being, um, my question is going to the different churches between the white and the black and your father having to preach. Um, I don't want to say differently because it's still the same message, mm -hmm. but what was that dynamic like? Like, was it a difference between the way that, you know, white Christians are accepting to the message mm -hmm. and also the way black people are accepting to the message. So what was the distinction between the two when it's really one gospel? Right. And I'm glad that you brought that up because when I look at religion, that's one of the things that has always intrigued me because I won't even take the separation between black church and white church. I, like I said, attended a church called uh, Friendship Baptist, mm -hmm. which was um, on one side of the highway of 496. On the very opposite side of 496 was Union Baptist Church. There were two Baptist churches. They were, we preached the same thing. We preached from the same Bible. We worshiped the same Jesus, um, but they were two different messengers. So one of the things I, I began to observe is how religion has become cultural and social. You go to the place where you feel comfortable. You go to the place where you feel accepted. Um, and looking at religion, uh, I said, well, shouldn't it be all encompassing? Why do, you know, some of my friends from high school go to union and I go to friendship? And I mean, is it just so that way we can play on different church league basketball teams on, on Saturday mornings? Is it like, what's the difference? We guys preach the same thing. Why aren't we united? Why isn't this coming together? And then that's why I realized, well, then religion oftentimes in our society has a social dynamic to it. Uh, Malcolm X always spoke about the fact that the most segregated time of the week is 12 o'clock noon on Sundays when we go to worship because whites will go where they feel comfortable and where they feel socially acceptable or where their culture fits in. So they'll sing songs that are culturally um, recognizable to them or culturally comfortable to them. We sing what we call more Negro spirituals, songs that are comfortable to us, songs that we had to sing before we could even read the Bible when we just called on God, wade in the water, and uh, a lot of these things that just kind of helped us work through our working day. We brought spirituality into our everyday life. So the emotion and the um, celebration that I would see in the black church, the expression of God was different in, than in the white church because we expressed God, we felt God, we touched by the Holy Spirit, feel the Holy Spirit, get moved by the Spirit. Um, whereas in another setting, because they may not have had the same cultural background or may have not gone through the same historic things, they bring that into their religious service. And so their service may be a little bit more calm, maybe not as emotional, more, um, and for a better word, more even intellectually based. So we want to develop your mind. We want to help you understand the Bible. Um, whereas in our religious service, it was more emotional based. Let's get them hyped. Let's get them crying, screaming, jumping, singing, because it's more of an emotional release. Okay, so with that said, because something just came into my spirit as you were talking, could it be the amount of suffering between the difference between the two cultures that we feel that close to God because it says that we are to share in his sufferings and I'm just the climate that we're in right now right with the whole black versus white thing unfortunately this is what it is that could it be the fact that they have the privilege and you really don't hear of them struggling for anything the way that black people have for 400 years 
So could it be that with the songs that we sing and how we express ourselves and our praise and our worship to the Father, because we've had to be able to share within his suffering that brought him glory? Exactly. No, I wouldn't say could it be. I would say that is, that is, and that's what I mean by cultural um, or having social ties to your church. Because one of the things I even notice about and we'll take this out of church just for one second. Just let's look at relationships, an interracial, interracial relationship. One of the things that I've noticed in not only in my life, but other people's lives is I've, I'm geared or more attracted to African-American women. Now, it, it doesn't mean that they're physically more attractive. It has nothing to do with their physical a lot of times. Has, a lot of times it has to do with I can relate to them. They can understand me. I can come home and I don't even need to say something. They'll understand what I've gone through. They understand my experience. They, they know how to comfort me and support me. I don't have to explain certain things that I went through through my day where I would in another type of relationship. And it doesn't have to be white. It could just be any relationship that's not African-American. We understand the African-American experience. So when I translate that same type of thought into over the, um, over the put that over, the, over Christianity or religion, then you're exactly correct. Our past has definitely influenced the way that we worship in the spirit. Um, our, our worship services, um, because we gotta remember, our whatever our African um, spirituality was taken from us when we came here. So when we first came here, we weren't allowed to worship God at all. In fact, we were beat. So then we got to a point where very few of us would secretly read, and the only book that we could read was the Bible. So those became our ministers, those became our pastors, and they had to be in secret because they could be killed if it was found out that they were learning how to read or teaching uh, Christianity or spirituality to these, to these slaves at the time. Mm -hmm. So that experience, so yes, that, so going through all those experiences and the, you know, having to, um, having the only thing that we had, we had no financial backing, we had no physical army or anything to protect us or save us, we had nothing to, really help us except for God. God was the only thing we had to call on. So our, of course our relationship is more emotional based. It's more, um, thank you Lord for bringing me you know, where I am so far. So I definitely would say that that's a great um, analogy or a great observation of the fact that part of the difference in our worship is the fact that we've been through things that another culture has not been through. And with that said, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back from the break, I wanna talk about man laws versus God, because you mentioned in your you know, uh, relationship or your journey that you know, people were worried about like, well, what I have on and all the things that men think about versus what God wants from you. So we'll be back. Hi, my name is Ashley Cotton, the host for the Life Talk Show, and I'm also a Transformation Life Coach. Here is what I can offer, one-on-one -on -one coaching, laser calls to check in, and also virtual or in-person meetings. Please, you can find me on Yelp, Google, and also on social media platforms. Welcome back to the Life Talk Show, and we are still here with Alex Watkins. And so before we went on break, you touched on the difference between man's law and also God's heart for his people. Why, you know, we are so hung up on how we have to present ourselves before the Lord when he knows that we're in sin. He knows that we're trying to overcome it, whatever obstacles or things that may be in our way. So can you break that down for us a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So... 
Um, and we were referencing it in the fact of the difference um, that I saw in different churches that I attend, uh, attended with my father being a musician and playing at different churches. So one of the things that I noticed, um, and I, I don't know if we want to call it laws, I may be customs, yeah. man's customs, because God has his universal laws which are flawless and uh, can't be changed. But man adds things to God's laws. And it goes back a little bit to what I was saying about cultural. Mm -hmm. So um, in our society, the way we dress, if you notice, the way that we dress for church is very, uh, usually we put on suits, we have our what we call our Sunday best. Uh, other cultures, they may, um, men wear maybe long, uh, what we might call skirts, or they just dress differently in, in the Islamic culture or even in the Buddhist or Tao culture. So you'll notice that it's culturally, um, have, your culture has influence on your religion. And so in our American society, one of the things that when you were speaking, that I, it, it always raises the hair up in the back of my neck, is culturally we refer to God as he. Um, when, to be honest with you, God's nature is much more of a feminine nature. Now God is, has both natures in the masculine and feminine, but the way that he exhibits himself through us is more of a feminine nature, love. Love is something that women understand a little bit better than men do. Intuition. Women are so intuitive that we developed a word called and, female intuition. And what I want to say is wrath, too, because exactly. when we get upset and when we get mad, it's like, Rah! yeah. Indeed. Amen. Wrath and repercussions. Right. Um, but also creators. Men, unfortunately, as much as I love being a man, I can't even re uh, replicate myself. Let alone a woman has the unwritten contract with the universe and with God that everything comes through her womb. So um, she's the creator of everything that, of life that comes into this world. Well, what is God? God's the creator. God's the one who's intuitive. God's the, if we look at uh, who, now I know men will like to think that we're more intellectually intelligent, um, but when it comes to the mind as a whole, um, that incorporates intelligence and emotional intelligence. Well, when you incorporate all that, well, women are actually the more stronger of the two, spiritually more stronger of the two. Now, living in this physical world, men are the physically stronger. So our culture has said, well, whatever is physically stronger dominates. Because I question, well, if there's 50% of women in the world, why aren't 50% of our leaders women? And if 50% of our leaders were women, wouldn't we have a different outtake on war, on solving crimes, on problems, because you understand life that's been inside of you that men don't have a perspective of. It's not that we don't mentally understand, we don't emotionally connect with that. So I say that to say that a lot of what we say in the Bible and speak about the Bible or what we do in churches is very cultural based. And that's where we get what we might call man's rules, man's laws. So women are to dress a certain way in church. Women are certain, supposed to sit in a certain place in church. In fact, I, can, I was thinking about my old Baptist church and I can tell you, Front row, we're going to be the deacons. Behind them, we're deaconesses. Behind them is the rest of the church congregation. And then in the church congregation, we had certain people that, um, um, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, it's a, it's a choir that we called the Heralds of Faith. Well, they would sit in their little section, even when they weren't singing. And then we had a, the older section with the uh, older women who I love in our church, but they were, you know, the gossiping, the talks. And then we had kids in the back. So we separate ourselves you know, even not only by the way we dress, but um, even where we sit sometimes in church. So is that the custom order of the church? And where did that come from? Because God, when you read it, especially when you have a, uh, the Holy Spirit and you're reading through the filter of the Holy Spirit and it's intimate, that he's so opposite of that. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I think uh, some of it comes from man having its influence on religion. See, man doesn't have his influence on spirituality because spirituality encompasses everything. Spirituality is, is all-inclusive. See, the way I look at God is I don't look at God as something that came upon me when I was baptized. I look at God as always was, always will be, and always has been. So when I wake up in the morning, the person who cuts me off in traffic has God in them. To what degree God has is in their life is up to them. That's their personal relationship with them. But it doesn't mean that I can't recognize that God's in them. And so the way that I interact with them or the way I respond to them, I got to remember I'm talking to God. The way I look and, and, and deal with animals, um, whether it's eating them, having them as pets or wearing them as clothing. Remember, they, they were God made them. Um, so God is all encompassing. So, yeah, I think it's a lot of that just comes from culture. What are we comfortable in our culture? What's our culture's way of portraying or demonstrating spirituality? And so but one of the things that we have um, unfortunately gotten into is when man touches things, sometimes we add our sin to it or we add our flavor to it. or We add our personality to it. So when the uh, church um, has what we call doctrine. Women should wear certain clothes. Women, I, I know growing up in the church, my mom always talked about women should not wear pants in church. They should wear skirts. Uh-oh. Why? <laughs> Why? Uh, but, but, that's, but it's nothing that is, is sinful about what, she, right. what they're doing. It's, this is our custom in the church. And unfortunately, what we do oftentimes, if, they, if people don't accommodate to our customs, we make them feel uncomfortable. And so if a woman doesn't, she, she, you don't know what she has at home to wear. That might be her only particular clothing to wear to church. So let's invite her in and make her feel comfortable. So I pull into her side and say, sweetie, you don't need to be wearing that in church or in church we do this or at our church we do this. Well, I didn't come for your church. I came for God. Like, right, do I need to fit into everything just to become a part of your church? And that's why I talked about church becoming more of a social gathering. Where do I feel comfortable? Where do I feel accepted? Um, I know that for a while, um, or I actually heard someone speak recently about, uh, as a white person, and they talked about coming to a black church. And they, one of the things that they said was, I initially went in as a minority feeling uncomfortable. But one of the things I felt that was different about this particular black church is they made me feel welcomed. And he said, I wonder why that is. And another black person who was in this conversation said, it's because all those black people know what it feels like to be the minority. Mm -hmm. They know what you feel like because when they leave this church, they're no longer the majority. Mm -hmm. They're the minority out in the world. And so a lot of the things that they, we do in this church is going to be custom or to our, you know, to our African-American culture. You know, we'll celebrate Black History Month different than we will at a white church um, because we want our congregation to feel comfortable. But we also recognize if someone comes in as an outsider, we don't want to make them feel comfortable. I wish more churches would take that, um, not only when it comes to race, but just how people express themselves in church. So with all that you said and going back to Alex mm -hmm. and your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. What did he say to you? What made you become set apart from that? Um, is, is listening to his messenger, Jesus. Listening to what Jesus said. I stopped focusing so much on, let me celebrate Christmas and let me worship in Jesus's name. And let me, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What did Jesus actually say? It, it goes back to, I'll talk to people and, um, they'll say, I'm a huge fan of Malcolm X. And they can tell me everything about his story. They've read his biography, they've um, seen his movies, they've heard, his, heard him, you know, seen different videos of him. But what did he say? What did he speak? Because I really doubt that 
Malcolm X is really focused on whether or not we can critique, because he's from Lansing, Michigan, my hometown. So I'm, I'm sure he, he doesn't care about the fact that he grew up in Lansing, Michigan, because unfortunately that's where his father died. He probably doesn't have great memories. He doesn't care about that. He probably cares about, did you understand the message that I left? The words that were coming out of my mouth, did they go into your heart and were you able to live by them? And that's what I looked at with Jesus. Are the words that he's saying, am I doing what he says? Am I honoring the Father? Am I worshiping the right way? Am I seeking God? Because one of the, the things that I did in my journey is, not only did I, there's a, um, a program that you can do where you can read the whole entire New Testament. If you read Monday through Friday, just five days a week, one chapter of the New Testament, you can read the New Testament in one year. It's somehow, some way, numbers just fit where it works that way. Um, and you even have the weekends to catch up if you miss a, a day or two. Uh, so I did that as an exercise. I read the whole entire New Testament, so I understand, and I did it two years in a row. So I understand everything that Jesus said. But then I also did an exercise. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. Well, every other month, there's 31 days in, in the month. So every day I can read a chapter of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, and the book of searching, and, and the book of teaching you to use your mind and use your brain and analyze and discern information that comes to you because you get a lot of things. So that's why I began to do. I actually began to not listen to what someone else was preaching to me or telling to me. I wasn't listening to another man's words. I was literally reading, praying, and meditating on the word and then asking God to show me these things in the world, demonstrate these things to me in the world. So that's how I began my journey is actually through research, through the mind. And we talked about that, you know, yesterday, you know, let your spirit be run, or let your spirit be enhanced by the renewing of your mind, you know, or making sure that your mind is focused on God's word and what he's trying to say. Because once you understand God's word, he actually reveals everything to you in life. And it's, 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 it, it, it reinforces the words, I was blind, but now I see. See, blind people, when they're able to see, well, not that they're able to see, but when they, when the person is able to regain their sight, well, everything that they're looking at was already there. It's not like things change once you gained your sight. They were always there the whole time. You just couldn't see them. And so that's why I ended up doing. My spiritual blindness was very prevalent because I was so indoctrinated into customs. I must do this custom to make God happy. I must do this thing. And not only the customs, but if you're not one of me, then you're the enemy and I need to convert you because there's something wrong with you. You obviously weren't made right and I need to convert you from whatever you're doing as a sinner to Christianity instead of saying, no, God's already in you. Maybe I need to learn something from you. Maybe you have a testimony. Maybe you have a different path to get to God through Christ than I do. And so I need to observe that and appreciate that, but also add the love of God to that so we can commune with one another. Not, I need to change you or I need to do something. You're separate from me, so I need to somehow... Um, convert you, you know? So that's, that's one of the things I learned on my journey. So we need to re-educate ourselves by the leading of the Holy Spirit, just sitting at the master's feet so he can teach us and, and pretty much strip away the customs, the religion, the rules, the regulations, and allow him to pour into us the way that he wants you. Because in the word, it also says that you don't need a teacher. The Holy Spirit, you know, will teach you all things. And so that's very interesting. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back more with Alex. Hey, it's your girl, Ashley. And if you like what you see, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel and follow me on social media. Be sure to share, like, tag and follow.
Welcome back to the Life Talk Show. We are still here with Alex. And before the break, we were talking about the educational piece of how the Lord was, uh, you know, revealing himself to you by renewing your mind when it came to you having to take a closer look of reading the Bible. So share that with us. So um, as far as education goes and God teaching, one of the things that I discerned myself from reading the Bible is when you read the New Testament, especially Genesis, you realize God created everything. So God not only is the creator, but he involved himself, he ingratiated himself into every living thing, every being, everything that makes up this world, this earth, even this universe. So when you see the stars at night, you're actually looking at the atoms of God, the inside of God. You, everything that you see, feel, touch is God. But for some reason, man was disconnected with sin when he came into this world. So we couldn't hear or read God anymore through nature, through observations. Like, what do the seasons tell us about God? What do um, emotions tell us about God? What does nature say about God? Why do birds and uh, certain animals hibernate? Why do they have these cycles? What, what kind of rhythm does this world seem to be on? And why is it so exact? Why is it always measured? Why is it always in season and it never is without fail? But unfortunately, we couldn't read God in those signs. And some people can. Some people can just go out in nature and they can understand God. I've had revelations going for walks like we talked about from God. So I, there are times where I can be in tune to God and I can read him in, in nature. But God, he knows us. He loves us. He always wants to save us. So he said, well, okay, you can't see me in nature. So let me do this. Let me give you written word. That way the word can be translated from generation to generation. And hopefully won't change. But my truths, my laws can be passed along. So he gave us the Torah or the Bible, or he gave us written scripture for many different religions, and he put them into many different cultures because he wants us to have a relationship with them. Unfortunately, man couldn't pull God's uh, laws, his commandments from words. So he said, okay, you can't see me, and even though I created you in me, I'm in you and you're in me, but still you can't see that. And I've given you written words so that you can mentally comprehend it, still not working. Let me send messengers. Let me send prophets. Let me let me put myself into people 100 percent of my of my God pie into a Jesus. So that way he can verbally tell you all what you need to do. And then what do we do with Jesus? Well, we crucify him. We reject him. We don't listen to him. So teaching only comes from people who are ready to learn. Um, there's a saying when the student is ready, the master appears. That's right. So the first thing is you have to be at a point where you're ready to learn. You're ready to accept these things because he can communicate with you in multiple ways. He can communicate with you through his prophets. He can communicate with you through reading. He can communicate with you through nature. You talked about this yourself. You, he can communicate with you through television. There's multiple meetings that God can communicate to us and teach us through because it's, in the end, it's your personal relationship with God. Unfortunately, as much as I've attended church, I've never heard one minister, one pastor, one prophet, one evangelist say, your attendance mark needs to be at 90% to get into heaven. Or um, for you to get into heaven, you have to sing at least three years in the gospel chorus and you have to uh, make sure you, you work on the usher board. Or you need to be, I never heard prerequisites or check marks that you need to have to get to church. But for some reason, we put those check marks or those um, priorities on our members, which just even the examination of membership is a little weird because aren't we all one body? So why are a lot of churches so focused on these are my members, these are, this is my congregation, this is my flock? Well, they belong to God. <laughs> so, um, you know, as I educate myself and I learn these things, um, you know, part of my education, like I said, is formal reading in the Bible, studying to become a minister, and then some of it is just living life. 
So with the current situation of COVID-19 and the way churches are now, what do you believe God is doing with that? Um, I feel like it's a divine interruption just to be like, you know. <laughs> well, first of all, like I said, the way I look at spirituality and the way I look at God, I, don't, I know God does not make mistakes. So anything that happens was divine order. Uh, I have friends and family who don't understand that concept. They believe that if something bad happens that God is punishing us or we did something wrong or God doesn't like us or God is even there is no God because if there was God, why would he allow COVID-19 to happen? Um, not understanding that God is not our magical genie to do whatever we personally want him to do to make our lives more comfortable. If that's your interpretation of God, then I can see why you, I want to call you lost, but I see why you have issues with understanding spirituality. So right now, um, I, I do believe that COVID is, is a, there's a reason for COVID. Um, there's a reason why we're all being separated and having to go back into our homes. Um, I recognize my separation as a time to meditate, as a time for prayer, as a time to just be alone with myself and to weed out some of the world. Uh, I had commend you the other day, actually, because I was telling you about the difference between listening to you and what you're doing during this COVID time and the way that you look at this break, as opposed to other people who look at uh, the situation is, well, I can't do anything because of COVID, or I'm restrained because of COVID, or um, I'm, I'm um, not going to work out or diet or achieve my goals or do what I'm, these are things that are stopping me from achieving my goals. Instead of looking at them like we talked about as hurdles that you just need to get over, or obstacles that you just need to get through, they look at it as roadblocks I can't get past. So I really do believe that COVID is a time for us to go within ourselves, have time alone with ourselves, but time alone with ourselves also means time alone with God, because where does God dwell? Where did he hide himself for us to go search him inside of us? And that's one of the reasons why I talked about earlier, I don't look at the guy who may have cut me off in traffic or may have done something um, inadvertently up to upset me or mad at me as the devil or sin or he's evil or things like that. I just look at him as God and how do I deal with them? Because God is in them. So be careful the way I respond to them. But that's because I realize God is in me. So if God is in me and God is in all things, that means he's also in that person. So I really think this is a time for us to reflect and go searching for God. That's what Proverbs talks about. Search for God. And God hid himself within us, which means to find God, we have to look at ourselves. We have to look at our faults, our weaknesses. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror. We have to honestly observe our sin, which is honestly easier to do alone than around other people. It's kind of hard to, uh, you know, talk about your sin and, you know, renewing your spirit in front of a congregation, in front of tons of people. But it's easier to do it in private with God. God, help me with this um, drug addiction or help me with this alcoholism or help me with the my anger issues or help me with my substance or sexual abuse or food abuse it's easier to talk to god in private and work on those things in private than it is to do as a whole now you do need a community to support you with those things so i do believe in confessing your sins and and having other people help you but you have to be careful make sure that you're confessing them to the right person and the right people so i really believe that this time of covid is a time for us to separate ourselves from the world to go within and really have the time for those who are taking advantage of the time to really develop our relationship with God, to enhance that, that relationship with them. Awesome, or her, God. awesome. So right now we are about to hit Alex with the hot track. <laughs> <laughs> so right. right
right now we're about to do the fire rapid questions. Excellent. Where I ask you five questions okay. and you got to answer them quickly, okay? All right, I'll do my okay, best. Okay, number one, <laughs> right. what is your favorite scripture verse in the Bible that you go to? Um, so I wouldn't say it's scripture or verse, but I would say the creation story. Um, I love the creation story and I love talking about the creation story. Um, I love, I love pointing out to people when we go through the creation story. So actually, it, my favorite part of the Bible is going to be chapters one through four because it talks about God, the creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And I love to point out what people have been mistaught. I love to point out um, that the creation, there's two creation stories. There's one that's in chapter one where Jesus made man and woman mm -hmm. in God's image. And in God's image, he gave us dominion over the world. Mm -hmm. Then there's in chapter two, another creation story where it's a separate creation story. It's a story about because it talks about land that was developed. It talks about rivers. It talks about the Euphrates. It talks about heavenly. It talks about where gold was found. It talks, and we get into a story about Adam and Eve. And then the, in the first creation story, it, like I said, we're reading this with our intellect, using God to help our mind to, to extract out information. We read God was the creator in chapter one. Chapter two, there's an entity or a substance called Lord God. And Lord God created Adam. And he um, put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work. And he created Adam from the dust of the ground. And he used the rib or to create Eve. And he had to breathe life into them. That's separate from the first story I read. The first story told me I was made in God's image, that God created me. And he said, let us, multiple spirits, make him in our image. And to have dominion and reign. So one has dominion over the earth and was made in God's image. But then there's another creation story where there's a man who was made from the earth to work the earth. And he was made in a place where there's already names of rivers and lands already. So why? why? Because, because people tell me Adam was the first person ever made. I said, but there's two creation stories. Because even to the point where we get to the point of Cain and Abel, when Cain is um, sent out from the Garden of Eden, he's sent out, A, with a wife. So where did she come in? I thought Cain and Abel were the only two people who were alive besides Adam and Eve. So where did she come from? And when he's sent out, he speaks to God, or excuse me, he speaks to Lord God and says, Lord God, this burden is too much on me. They will kill me if, if I roam the earth. Who are the they that will kill you? Who are the they that you're worried about? So I love those first two chapters because everyone tells me that they know the creation story, they know the Bible, and they are intellectually in tune with the... But then the, I'll ask them questions. Well, how did... We replicate ourselves if it came to Abel, the first two people that were born into the world. And Seth was the next son that was born after, um, after Abel was killed. So where did the women come in? Um, they don't have an answer for that. Or they'll give me a story, well, God allowed incest back then. So God changes. God allows incest when we're first creating the world, but he doesn't allow incest later on. No, it doesn't make sense. You're just telling me something that someone told you. You haven't read the Bible for yourself. So my favorite chapters are the beginning chapters because they're my teaching chapters to tell people you don't know as much as you think you know. You just know what someone told you. You never prayed about these things. You never read them for yourself. and You never used your mind to understand the world of God. Okay, so with that said, you got my wheels spinning. So we're going to talk after, you know, when we get a chance okay. to. Number sorry, that was a long answer <laughs> to the first question. <laughs> I know, I Rather said quiet. quick. You got to be sorry. quick with it, I'm though. sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just lost. joking. So number two, what do you think heaven is like? <sighs> what do I think heaven is? I think heaven is a spiritual state of euphoria. So it's our spirit at peace, our spirit finally finding peace. Our spirits don't find peace down here. And I don't know if you've noticed the way people act or people uh, treat each other. 
this isn't, a this isn't the best place to find peace. I do believe heaven is a place where the spirit is at peace and is one. It's finally one with God. We are one with God, but we, are, we, we don't act that way. Spirit, heaven is where we finally are one and we're at peace. Number three, how do you get into the presence of the Lord? Go within. You have to quiet the mind. Even though I'm talking about using the mind to understand intellectually the God, but then quieting the mind to listen to answers. So going within, meditation, prayer, every single day. Number four, who would you like to meet from the New Testament or the Old Testament? Enoch from old, um, Jesus from new. Jesus from the new. Last final question, given the opportunity, you're in a quiet, intimate setting in a place and all of a sudden, God just manifests himself right before you. What would you say to him? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. The good times, bad times, I'm just grateful. Thank you. I have nothing to ask from you, nothing. I feel I have nothing to give. So thank you. Thank you for everything. I'll just thank him. And uh, this is concluding our show, but before we go, what do you want to say to your audience that's watching you? What is the Lord placing on your heart to speak? Um, well, what the Lord is placing me on my heart to communicate to the rest of the world is to really have an intimate relationship with God. Um, don't depend on someone else to do the hard work for you, to do the lifting for you. So just because you attend church every single Sunday doesn't make you saved, or just because you follow rituals that are custom customs that are more based upon your, um, your society or your culture doesn't mean that you're saved. Um, really having an intimate relationship with God, understanding with your mind first what God is trying to tell you and then observing with your heart and your spirit. And I encourage everyone to take time out to actually have a personal, individual, intimate relationship with God. And with that said, um, I also want to encourage you all too to have that personal relationship. One of the things about this show which makes it so unique and set apart from the rest is that you can actually hear it from those who have experienced it, for those who actually have a relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that way it can't be refuted because it's based off of Revelation 12:11, And we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. It's so important to be able to share our testimony with people. And I oftentimes encourage you all to just start with your own story. You know, those that are evangelists, those that are teachers, those that want to share the good news about Christ, begin with yourself. Begin with opening up and sharing your own personal testimony. So I wish you all nothing but the best. I hope you all stay safe during this COVID-19. Thank you all for tuning in, and I will see you guys next Saturday with a special guest.